Hey, y'all, before we jump into this episode, I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Faithful Counseling. As y'all know, we talk about counseling on No Matter What a lot. There have been several seasons in my life where seeing a licensed therapist has been pivotal to my personal growth and overall well-being. And a question I get all the time is how to start counseling and even where to find a trusted counselor in your area. And while the answer to that question used to be kind of long and complicated, I am so excited to now be able to tell you about Faithful Counseling. The three things I love most about Faithful Counseling, one, it's super easy to start your account and to start getting the help you need in whatever season you're facing. Faithful Counseling assesses your needs and matches you with your own licensed professional therapist in under 24 hours. You can send them messages, set up weekly video or phone sessions, and if you need to, you can switch your counselor at any time for no cost. Two, it's way more affordable than traditional counseling rates. And three, and probably most important to me, you know that you're talking to a certified traditional therapist, but also to someone who is a fellow believer and can talk to you from a faith perspective. And right now, Faithful Counseling is offering 10% off your first month. Just go to faithfulcounseling.com slash no matter what, all one word, no matter what. I've said it before and I'll say it again, going to counseling has been pivotal for my own personal growth and well-being. And now I am so grateful to know about Faithful Counseling so I can refer no matter what listeners to their service. Again, it's faithfulcounseling.com slash no matter what to get 10% off your first month of service. And now let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to No Matter What. I'm Hannah Seymour, and this podcast is all about being who God created you to be no matter what, no matter your past, your current circumstances, no matter your relationship status, your career journey, no matter what life throws at you. Each episode, I invite a friend to talk about what that actually looks like to be who God created you to be no matter what. Welcome back to No Matter What, y'all. I am so excited today because I am in the studio with a brand new friend, Morgan Coiner. And Morgan and I were connected. I guess we'll get into that a little bit more later, but because of a place that she works called The Next Door. And I am just honored, Morgan. Thank you for being here. I'm thrilled that you are sharing your story with us today. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. So let me tell y'all a little bit of what I've learned about Morgan in my internet hunting. So one is she is a VA tech grad, which of course y'all know I'm from Virginia. So I love that connection. Go Hokies. And I, I will say that even though I'm, you know, a Royal Duke dog. So I love, I do bleed purple and gold, but I'm always excited about other Virginia grads. She has her master's from Georgia College and State University, and she currently serves as a grant and communication coordinator at The Next Door. And again, we'll talk about that a little more. But then the other thing, Morgan does not know that I'm going to do this, but I found Morgan's blog and her website, and I have to read what she wrote about herself. She says, meet Morgan. I believe in Jesus, animal print, glitter, also believes in monograms, tacos, books, fighting against systemic racism, singing in the shower, driving with the windows down, the Blue Ridge Mountains, asking for help. That's a good one. Cowboy boots, writing, red wine, being vulnerable, a color-coded planner, grace, 
the Hokies, destigmatizing mental illness, dark nail polish, laughing until my sides hurt, joining people in their struggles and road trips. I mean, how can you not want to be Morgan's friend after hearing that? Okay, Morgan, I really am so excited to have you in the studio because I'm going to kind of get to learn your story as we unpack it together. So tell us about a time when you walked through a specific season of hardship and struggle um, that really challenged your faith and walk with the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. So Last year, which is crazy to say, it felt like it was maybe five years ago with COVID and everything. Yeah. So May of 2019, I was finishing up grad school. I had like five days left till graduation. And I get a phone call from my stepmom, Lucy. And she said, you know, something's going on with your dad. He's not he's not doing really well. Um, My dad had been sick for about four years. He had gone on life support at one point and we were told he like was never going to come back, Wow! came back and we got four more years with him. So over those four years, we kind of were preparing our hearts for the day that he wouldn't be with us anymore. And so I got that phone call the week of my grad school graduation. And, you know, I drove up to, I was in Georgia. I drove up to Chattanooga where they were. um, And my dad died the next day. So I didn't walk at my grad school graduation, three years of work. Um, I did a little ceremony in my sister's house with all my nieces and nephews and um, walked across the living room. You know, amazing. (laughs) Um, And let's see. So the funeral was on Mother's Day. That Saturday after that, I moved to Nashville. And the next Tuesday, I started my job at the next door. Wow. And so within a week, my life, you know, Nashville had always been my dream. Okay. And I was like, finally getting my dream. Like God was being so kind and giving me this thing I had really wanted. And I had been hearing from him like this, this like word of, this is not going to look like what you think. Mm. And so to me, I, I had always really wanted to be in editing and publishing and instead I took this job at a nonprofit. Uh And so that I was like, okay, like I'm going to have a different job. All of a sudden, I moved to a new city where I don't know anybody, and I'm grieving the loss of my dad. So that was kind of the beginning. Yeah. I ended up finding a church and had started to get involved there. And three months later, I get a phone call from my sister saying, Mom's dead. And about the week leading up to my mom's death, she had... She always called it sliding. So my mom had struggled with mental illness for most of her life. Mm -hmm. And we knew that she had been through, you know, down periods before. Um, And my sister and I were doing everything we knew to help her, but she was going to be fine because she was always fine. And one day we just realized we hadn't heard from her. And my sister who lives in North Carolina drove up um, and there was no answer at the door called the police and essentially, you know, stood in my mom's kitchen until the police came and told her that our mom was dead. And so in a span of three months, um, my birthday was right in between. So I say like I was 26, 27. Mm-hmm. I lost both my parents, wow. which is something no one expects to do at yeah. 26 no. or 27 years no. old. You know, I, my stepmom, her mom is still alive. My, my grandma's 92. Wow. Um, it completely shattered my whole life yeah I mean it was like the second I had almost started to get my bearings again I mean and three months after someone dies is not 
No. A lot of time. No. Like, <laughs> and you're but, in a new city. Yeah. And you are just building community. I mean, talk about that for a minute. Because moving to a city where you don't know anyone and finding community, much less finding Christian community, is already super important and really hard. But it compounded on the fact that you had just lost your dad and were in a place of grief. I mean, how did you practically, like even find the church, start building community. And how did you get to a place where you knew you could be open with folks and let them be there for you? You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one thing about Nashville is we're so lucky to have so many good churches in the city. And so I kind of just started with the churches I had heard of and they were all great churches, but they didn't quite feel like the right place. And I, lucky for me, the next door where I work is a Christian organization. Yeah. We're a faith-based addiction treatment center. And one day I was in my boss's office and this woman comes in and to talk to my boss about something and is like, oh, hey, like I haven't met you before. And I was in the middle of talking to my boss about how I was struggling to find a church. And this woman, Tracy, says, oh, well, you should just come to my church. You know, it's this church in East Nashville. It's called Hope Church. Whatever. And I was like, okay, like. That's great. And she told me about her husband. Her husband was in recovery and runs a nonprofit here in town and um, wanted to talk about grant writing, which is what I do. And so I went to their house for dinner, I think, before I ever went to that church and just clicked immediately. And I think about that a lot because like that room where I met Tracy, who led me really to this community, is the same room I was sitting in when I found out my mom died. Wow. And I just like... I hate that room, (laughs) but also like, it's a holy space for me. Like it's, it's really the place where like two of the most important things of my life happened. Mm -hmm. Like I met my church family and, you know, I got this horrible news about my mom and I always say I had like what I call forced vulnerability. Yeah. Every single church I went to for probably the first couple months, I cried. It was like anytime someone mentioned the glory of God or heaven or eternity. I just started sobbing because I knew my dad was there Mm. and I wanted so badly to only feel joy about that. Mm. But I was still just like really grieving his absence in my life. Yeah. And so when you're crying at church, like typically people say hi (laughs) and they ask you about it. Like they wanted, they want to welcome you in and they don't want you to feel alone. And that's really what happened at, at hope. I mean, I just started crying and they were like, Oh, look, come to community group tonight. I cried all of community group and it just kind of opened me up. And I think there was something grieving a death is not like a shameful secret, you know, like the way we hide maybe like a drinking problem or um, something like that. I felt very comfortable saying, you know, my dad just died. Like that was my excuse for the emotion. Right. Rather than maybe like real, true, authentic vulnerability at that point. But it opened the door. Yeah. And thank God it did, because if that door hadn't been opened at my dad's death, I never would have walked through it for my mom's. Yeah. I think that part, again, like God, God is just all over the story. And I've always known that, Mm. but I never really saw it playing out in my life until the death of my parents. You know, my pastor's wife and I had been trying to, you know, catch up and really sit down and meet each other. And the Monday, the week my mom died. She texted me and was like, hey, girl, I'm thinking of you. How are you? And I just was like, I'm awful. (laughs) And she was like, "Okay, like um, Jason's going to watch the kids. Let's go out to dinner. And I cried the whole time and just was like, here's what's going on with my mom. I don't know what to do. Like, I am not equipped for this. 
Like, I'm not an adult. <laughs> like, like, I don't know how to handle. Yeah. Like, what if we have to commit my mom and put her yeah. in the psych ward? Like, yeah. I am not. Like, how is that decision on me? No right? kid ever wants and, to become the parent yeah. of the parent. And it, it happens. That, I mean, at some point, whether it's just elderly age or whatever, it happens. And yeah. It's never, yeah. But like, how crazy we had been trying to catch up all summer that Monday. So then Thursday, she was literally one of the only people on the planet who knew what had been going on with my mom. So she was my first phone call. You know, like mm-hmm. it. all these things just lined up mm-hmm. to where in that moment I was so taken care of when it would have been really easy for me mm-hmm. to not have been, mm-hmm. if that makes Did sense. Did you feel so taken care of at that time, though? Or, I mean. I think in that moment, I honestly, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Like, I. Yeah. I remember like flashes of like Kelly coming. We like cleaned out my fridge. She helped me pack my suitcase. And I remember thinking like, you are going to remember this. Like you are going to remember how she was here. Wow. And maybe we'll get into this later. But like, I think at that time, like I kind of refused to be upset with God Mm -hmm. because I, I felt like I was beyond that. Like I've been a Christian Mm -hmm. for 10 years, like, I don't get mad at God. He's sovereign. And I know that. So I just have to accept what happens. Mm -hmm. And I kind of tried to skip over that Mm -hmm. step. And so in that moment, I think I did feel really taken care of because I was like, look, God's providing, God's providing. And I kind of ignored any of the other stuff Mm -hmm. that would then come out later. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe you've already answered this question, but I mean, what you're barely getting your feet back on the ground. You're grieving the loss of your dad your mom suddenly dies. What were your conversations honestly like between you and the Lord? You know, I think it makes sense for me to say um, my mom died of an overdose. So we found out after her death that she had been hiding an addiction for 12 years, maybe. So you didn't know your mom was an addict Mm -mm. until after she died. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We knew like, we kind of like danced around the subject. Like we, um, everyone in my family has like a story of a time my mom went to visit and suddenly something vanished from their pill cabinet. Mm-hmm. My sister and I have both seen her overdose before, but just didn't know that's what it was. Sure. So we kind of just thought she was ill, like really, yeah. truly mentally yeah. ill. Yeah. And she didn't do a great job of kind of advocating for herself in that realm. And that's something my sister and I were really trying to get her to do. Yeah. And so after her death was this huge reckoning of, did I even know my mom? Who is this woman? Mm -hmm. If she could hide this, like what else could she have been hiding? And it was like for weeks, it felt like every day there was like a new secret that came out, more stuff we kept finding out. And I think at that time I was just like, God, how could you let her live that life? Mm. She went home to an apartment alone, you know, so, you know, after my parents divorced, she didn't get remarried. She sat in that apartment by herself in her own shame and her own struggle. And like, how could you do that? Like, yeah. if you actually loved her yeah. the yeah. way that the Bible says you love her, like, how could you let her get to such a place? Like, I just felt this immense sadness yeah. for my mom yeah. that allowed me to give her, I think, a lot more grace than I would have ever when she was alive. Mm. Um, but I just really I felt like God was not nice, yeah. you know, to do that yeah. to her. And it wasn't 
I think what's interesting about that is like, I wasn't really focused on his kindness to me at that moment. It was more like, how could you let my mom live that life? Mm-hmm. And then kind of once that settled in. Okay. So how have you reconciled that or have you? I think what it really comes down to is my mom was living in a lot of sin and we do have a responsibility on our end. You know, my mom's death, the Bible says like sin leads to death, period. Yeah. For us, we really like to think about that as spiritual death Mm -hmm. because it's in a weird way easier to reconcile. Sure. My pride is not going to, like, I'm not going to just drop dead on the floor because I'm too prideful in a moment. Her sin literally killed her. Yeah. She kept it in the darkness. She didn't tell anybody about it. She um, was consumed by that shame. It literally killed her. And I think for me, I realized, like, I'm not really any better than that. You know, I was hiding my own um, addiction to alcohol. I wouldn't say hiding. I was not doing a great job of hiding it, but I was ignoring it Mm -hmm. for sure. Had a lot of really shameful secrets, just things I was doing that were not in line with who God created me to be. And after my mom died, I just said, I can't like, I cannot let these things stay in the darkness Mm. because I had this huge example of watching that darkness truly encompass someone and kill them. Like, it's almost like it, she made one decision of like, I'm not going to tell anyone. Yeah. And that one decision grew and grew and grew into this like cocoon around her of darkness yeah. where she could no longer see her way yeah. out. And I do, I think just for my own sanity, you want to mention like her death was not intentional. I think that was another thing that was yeah. really helpful for us. So she, um, we found out 16 weeks after her death, um, that it was fentanyl, which of course is, Unfortunately, all the rage right now with um, illegal drugs. And I think that was something there was something really merciful in the fact that like her death was instantaneous Mm. and Mm. there was no pain and no purpose on on her end. You know, obviously God has purpose in it, but that really helped me in some ways. Like she's not in that anymore. She is in the new heaven and new earth, right? She's no more tears, no more sickness. Like she's healed and she's with God. And how is that not a gift from the life Mm -hmm. that she was living? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. on one hand, you're feeling cared for by the Lord. You're seeing his provision in your life. On the other hand, you're maybe um, stuffing down some anger, (laughs) stuffing down some (laughs) um, struggling with Lord, you're being kind to me, but how is this kind to my mom working through that? What did you practically do to hold on to the truth that God is who he says he is versus what your circumstances were screaming at you, telling you otherwise? Yeah. You know, I was in a Bible study at the time and we were reading through the book of Acts and Acts is all about suffering. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But I was really irritated reading it because all of it is like, you're suffering for the gospel. You're suffering for this good cause. Like, yeah don't be sad when you suffer because like yeah. you're spreading the gospel. And I was like, no, like my suffering is just straight up collateral yeah. damage. Yeah. Like I am not suffering for the gospel yeah. right now. I am not and I think suffering. That's how mo- I mean, the second you started <clears throat> saying that I'm like, I know exactly where she's going. And that's exactly how I feel most of the time is mm-hmm. like biblical suffering. All the stories we read were like, yes, like they are literally laying down their life to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. That is not what feels like I am doing. And yeah. So anyway, sorry, yeah. continue. So there's that suffering. Yeah. Then 
So I get haunted. I, I thought a lot about suffering. <laughs> um, there's the kind of suffering that kind of results from our own sin. Yeah. yeah. So you know, I think about like a heartbreak that I went through that was so awful. It's because I had elevated this man to be more than Jesus in my life. Yeah. Like that is my own sin yeah. coming back to bite me in the yeah. butt. And God, there's so many examples of God allowing people's sin oh, yeah. to you know, grieve them to repentance. Yep. And this did not feel like it fit in that either. Yep. And really what I had to do was talk through that. And that meant being in community. Mm-hmm. And so there are just two sweet families at my church. There's the pastor and his wife and then another family. And I just cried all the time. <laughs> I would go to their house and just sit on the couch and be like, I don't get it. I, I do not deserve this. Mm-hmm. I did not ask for this. And I think the biggest thing that they let me do was have that space. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I, I've been to churches where their main focus is like the joy of Jesus Christ, which is so good and so true. Yes. We have to give people time to lament. Yes. You know, the Bible says there's a time for everything. Yep. There is a time to lament. Yep. And if we skip that lamenting, we miss a huge part of the process. Mm-hmm. And so that was really one of the practical steps for me was learning that it is biblical to lament. Mm-hmm. You know, I, um, mm-hmm. for a while, I was one of those like word of the year people. Mm-hmm. And the word he had given me for 2019 was restoration. Wow. And I did not tell anybody because I was like, this is a big word. I don't like it. I don't want it. <laughs> um, Like, yeah. Right. And yeah. oh man, if that wasn't like some kind of preparing my heart, but, <laughs> yeah. um, and the book I, and I would usually like really deep dive into one book a year and the book was Lamentations. Oh my gosh. And I girl. said, why are you giving me the book of suffering in the year of restoration? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know that your listeners can't see my face, but I just like now though, <laughs> it is so clear. Like you mm-hmm. read that book, like, it is ugly. Like yeah. there's a reason pastors don't do sermon series on lamentations. Uh, I think the church would just fall. <laughs> People would um, stop coming. It's awful. Yeah. But there are these verses of, um, I, I wrote one of them down. So it says, my eyes are worn out from weeping. I am churning within. My heart is poured out in grief. That's in the Bible. Mm. So for us to tell someone, I know this is hard, but just find the joy in Jesus, like is not always the a number one biblical truth yeah. that they need in that moment. Yeah. And I think that's a hard balance. I'm not telling you to like let people sit around and wallow, yeah. but I really needed space yeah. to get that out because I was trying to stuff it down. And yeah. I remember one night sitting on my pastor's couch, just saying like, God should have saved my mom. Mm. Why didn't he save my mom? Mm-hmm. And he just looked at me and he said, Morgan, I don't know but we can sit here as long as we need to Mm. and we can talk about it as long as we need to. He just was like, I know you want me to have the answer. Like I'm a pastor. Mm. I went to seminary. He's like, but I don't something in his comfort and being able to say that gave me extreme peace Yeah, because we don't get the gift of knowledge, complete knowledge while we're on earth. And so that was one, I know that sounds silly, like feel your feelings, but like that was one really practical thing I had to do was sit down and actually say like, 
God, I am mad at you. I believe that you're sovereign. Yep. I believe that you're good. Yep. But I'm mad mm-hmm. that this is yeah. what is happening. Yeah. That somehow this is going to work out for my good. I'm yeah. mad. Yeah. You know, and um, and realizing like you people always say, God can handle your emotions. God yep. can handle your anger. Yep. And I think I just felt like I was like too righteous to feel it. Uh-huh. Um, or that you know better. That's what yeah. I think. It's like I know better than this. Like yeah. I don't need, I shouldn't be mad or I yeah. Mm-hmm. I think there's um there's something about grief that just humanizes you. Oh yeah. And so I just had to accept that I was human yeah. and let myself be human and find people who could let me lament but at the same time pour truth over me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Morgan, we don't, they're not going to say like, but the joy of the Lord, like, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're like, this is hard, yeah. but God is God. God loves you so much. Yeah. God is so good. Mm. God is sovereign. You know, whatever truth it yes. was, yes. was so important. Yeah. And I think it is something Really, I had not seen done well Mm -hmm. until this moment Mm -hmm. to see people. I will never look at community the same. Mm -hmm. Those people saved my life Mm -hmm. at a time when I really did not think I was going to be able to keep living. Mm -hmm. Not because I was like suicidal. I truly, honest to God, did not think I had the physical strength to move my body through each day. Totally. I mean, they fed me. <laughs> they, I ended up moving in with one of the families for a couple months. Um, oh I just gosh. was like, I can't be alone anymore. Yeah. Like, I'm struggling. And they were like, come on. So I lived with them and their four girls. <laughs> like, it's wow. if you do not have people yeah. around you, like, go get them, find them. Yeah. And if you need help finding them, like, call me <laughs> because, <laughs> like, it is, it is all the difference. Yeah. I mean, it is everything. I think this part of your story is so encouraging because everyone knows they need community, Mm -hmm. but it's a lot of work. I mean, most of us have to pursue, we have to find the people we have to pursue them. And that's just how relationships work. Like, unfortunately, I mean, it would be nice if someone knocked on our door and pursued us, but like most of the time, that's not what happened. And I mean, Yes, like you can see the Lord pursuing you through this community in your story mm-hmm. with your pastor's wife showing up at your office and inviting you to church, you know, all the all these different ways. But I think a lot of times we think I have to have been actively pursuing and pouring into community years before tragedy happens for them to be there for me. And that's what I think is so beautiful about your story is a you had just lost your father you and you moved into a new city. And I mean, you were just but you barely had your toe dipped in the community that you started to get into when we're around people that are rubbing shoulders with Jesus. That's what community looks like. They are ready and willing and all hands on deck to pull you in, to hug you, to love you, to provide for you, food for you, all those things. And I think, I hope that's encouraging to anyone listening right now of knowing it, it doesn't, if you have no community right now, it can start tomorrow. Even Amidst the year 2020 and COVID-19. It really can. Um, true, I think true Christians, true people who, like you say, rubbing shoulders with Jesus want that for everybody. Yes. So if you walk into a church and say, like, I need community, I am drowning. And they say, like, mm, like, I don't, we don't really have a community group for you. Like, yeah. we don't really have a, get out. I mean, yeah. like, no offense to any of those churches. Like, 
any church should be opening their arms to you if you are struggling. And I think in the same way, like those of us who are maybe on the other side of, of a hard thing or just really firm in our walk, we need to be that person who goes into the office and says like, Oh, Hey, you're talking about church. Come to church with me. Yeah. Or who says like, Hey, I just met you for five minutes. Why don't you come to my house for dinner? Like if Tracy had never done that, like all these things would never have happened. And like, she was doing that because she is someone who walks yeah. in the spirit all the time in every aspect of her life. Yeah. And so we then have to do that because we don't know what person is right. sitting in an office somewhere dying inside mm-hmm. because of the pain that they're in, That's right. you know? Just want to interrupt this conversation for a second to tell you about my 25-day Bible study guide in Philippians. In Philippians, Paul teaches us that joy comes not as the result of external conditions, but from internal confidence that God is at work and in control. And I don't know about you, but I need that reminder that my joy comes from my internal confidence that God is at work, that he's in control, that he is always good, not from my external conditions. I would love for you to join me 25 days in Philippians this month. You can learn more at hannahseymour.com or check out some of my other 25 days in Bible book plans. A prayer that I pray often, sometimes, you know, one of those, (laughs) (laughs) but really is like, Lord, show me, show me who needs you today. And how, when I'm coming and going, that's something that I learned from my dad years ago. You know, we know that Jesus's final words were to go and make disciples, baptizing them in my name. Um, and the go and make disciples in the Greek is as you are going. Mm-hmm. And that really transformed my way of thinking about as you're going, as I'm dropping my boys off at preschool, as I'm going through the Starbucks line, when I run into Aldi to buy groceries, as I'm meeting with you, you know, all these different things I'm doing throughout my day when I'm in the right space of like, Lord, show me through your spirit who needs you and how I can help. And sometimes it's, you know, it's just saying a kind word to the woman at the cash register or something. It's so really takes any effort on my part. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is meeting someone going, Hey, you want to come over to dinner tonight with my family or you, you know, whatever. Um, but man, the joy that the Lord will bring to your life by doing that is so incredible. And I think it goes back to you. That's what we were created for. Mm-hmm. We were created to love God and love others. And that's how we're loving others as we're going um, looking for the people that are hurting and need Jesus, whether they know him or not. We all are different places where we need Jesus and we need other believers to be a reflection of God's love and grace and kindness to us. Absolutely. Yeah. It's hard, but it's not as hard as we make it. No, <laughs> we make not. it a lot harder yeah. to let ourselves off the hook. Yeah. yeah. And I say that as someone who does that. I mean, yes. I, I also let myself off the hook yes. a lot. Totally. You know? Totally. Okay. You already brought up Lamentations, but I, I know that, you know, part of my show was like, re- like, let's look at scripture that really mattered to you at this mm-hmm. time. So, so was, I mean, is the book of Lamentations, like that's your book and your passage and that you really clung to during this time or what part of God's word really spoke to you? There are a couple. So I, because I was in this place of like really wrestling out what I thought and felt and knew about God, yeah. I wanted something really specific that I could like sink my teeth in. And Uh so one of the verses was, um, John 14, 18, it says, I will not leave you as orphans. Mm. 
and I, I don't love the word orphan for me. Cause like, yeah. I did have like a very good childhood with my parents. Like I think of orphans as people who lose their parents as kids. Yeah. And, um, but there was something really like deeply profound about that to me in two ways. One, I, I still have a stepmom. She's been my stepmom since I was four. Wow. That's provision. Yeah. Yeah. To give me a relationship that is so similar. Uh, I mean, she is a mom to me. Yeah. Like I don't know life without her. Um, so I'm not an orphan. Like mm. I have her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course I have the Lord. Like he is the perfect father. Um, and just learning to see him more that way. I, I typically look at God as like a friend, mm. a colleague mm. type, like side by side. Um, not necessarily like father, yeah. like a, like a dad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, I think it was good for me to see that. Like mm. I'm not, I am still a daughter mm-hmm. even if my parents are not here. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other one, Psalm 68 says God puts the lonely in families. And mm. I just thought like the families at my church, right? Like yeah. weekly dinners, like love their kids end up living with one of them. Yeah. Like, God really did put me in families. Um, and even more than that, I, so I always, when I was a kid, I said, I have a mixed up family. Um, I'm one of six, but it's two half brothers, a stepsister, a stepbrother, and then a sister who shares both parents with me. Mm-hmm. And so that's abundance. Yeah. <laughs> this, um, yeah. this set of grandparents, yeah. you know, my stepmom's parents that I, that I know and love and my stepmom herself. And, you know, her brother and sister or, and sister-in-law and like the cousins from that really, you know, like it just starts to yeah. spread out of like, not only did he put me in these families in this moment, but he put me in my family. That's right. And that like, my mom is one of six, right? Yeah. Like they're like my family spans. Yeah. And what a blessing that is. You know, my mom has four sisters, like that's four yeah. aunts yeah, who are like mothers. Right. And, and so the verses that I could find and directly connect mm-hmm. to my life were the ones I really relied mm-hmm. on because everything else felt too abstract. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot mm-hmm. of people get stuck is like, okay, God, you say you treasure me, but I don't feel treasure. Yeah. So like I was trying to find those verses where like you say you put the lonely in families. I am the lonely. Here is my family. Yeah. Um, you say you will not leave me as an orphan. Like yeah. you have called me your daughter. Yeah. And I have this mother figure here on earth. Like those things were what I really, really clung to. Mm -hmm. And then, like I said, I, um, my word of the year was restoration. And so the verse in first Peter, it says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace himself will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And so that was one that I just had to keep repeating myself. Like you are suffering. This that this is the yeah. suffering. Yeah. But yeah. on the other side, yeah. the God of all grace, yeah. not just God, like the graceful God right. will restore you, which I still didn't know what that word meant at, at that <laughs> point. Um and he'll make me strong and firm and steadfast. Mm. And those are words we talk about God. Like steadfast, like that is a God word, yeah. you know? And yeah. so that was something I really clung to to say, like the Bible's promising, like I will come out of this. Mm. But I think that one for me, like I only clung to it because I felt like God had given to given it to me before. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Because that's still kind of abstract. Yeah. How have you seen God working through the death of both of your parents in your your family, in your extended family? Like, how is have you seen have you seen that? Have you seen His hand at work because of their deaths? Yeah, I think my dad's death. You know, my dad was seventy five. He had been told about four years before his death that he was going to die. He was really sick in the hospital on life support and he pulled through and we got four more years. Um, And so that process more than my dad's death, I think really shaped our family Mm -hmm. because we had to communicate in ways we had never had to communicate. Um, You know, my sister and I, took turns helping with like caretaking. So our relationship with our dad in some ways changed for a little bit. A lot of things had to just be out on the table. We talked a lot more openly about our faith than we ever had before. Mm -hmm. My dad came from a a generation that was real more private about their faith. So I hadn't really heard him talk about his personal walk with God Mm -hmm. um, until after he got sick. That's when he really would kind of open up about it and that changed everything because then when he died, we already had those communication patterns. We already had that kind of openness flowing about our faith. Yeah. And dad did. I mean, I I had a conversation with him. It was so funny. I was like, dad, you're not going to be at my wedding. Like, Mm. I'm really sad. Like you're never going to know my kids and all these things. And (laughs) he just goes, yeah, but like, I'm going to be in heaven. So I don't think I'm going to be that sad about it. That might be true, but it's not nice for you to say and to I'm my like, face. I'm like crying at the kitchen table. And he's like, I mean, yeah. And I was like, okay. But like, that's how at peace he was. Like, he was not even mourning, like, what was to come in my life and what he would miss. Because he knew where he would be. And he knew, like, there's no sorrow. Yeah. So he's like, you're right. I'm going to miss that. But like, I'm going to be worshiping Jesus forever. So like, yeah. sorry, kiddo. Like, <laughs> um, and so... um Watching him, I was like physically in the room for his last breath and watching that moment and knowing like knowing where he went was this beautiful experience. So when my mom died, 57, completely out of the blue, super tragic, all kinds of, you know, junk associated with it and trauma. And, you know, we knew that she was with Jesus, but like it felt wrong. Hmm. And so having my dad's example to look back on was really helpful to say, like, this is what it looks like. And I always say, like, to die well. And mm-hmm. that makes it sound like my mom didn't. And I don't mean it that way. But to see this example of what it can look like yeah, versus when, like, sin and shame can can consume us. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that as the blame towards my mom. Like, she was very sick. Um, yeah. She was sick with the disease yeah. of addiction sick with whatever mental health diagnosis she had it was not I don't think it was her fault I want I want listeners to hear that um if only because I think a lot of us have people in our families with either addiction or mental health issues and like I want you to hear me say it's an illness yeah Yeah. um that person is not the person you know and love they are someone different Mm -hmm. and that's something I think to reckon with in and of itself but for me personally my mom's death set off this um, deep desire for confession. Mm. Um, I was hiding a lot of sin and a lot of shame deep in me 
And I just like had to get it out because like I said, I had watched the darkness consume my mom and my sister. And I just said like, we will not let it consume us. And so that restoration that I've talked about, it was me that was being Mm -hmm. restored. Mm -hmm. Um, My heart is different today in a way that it Mm -hmm. would not be if my mom were still here Mm -hmm. because I would not have seen what happened. Wow when sin and shame can consume you, when you believe those lies so fully that they end up taking your life. And so I am free in ways I have never been free because of her death. And that has given me kind of this new perspective of like, God didn't cause her death. God didn't kill her. Right. But in her death, God could still make something beautiful. I think that's like, theology that we get mixed up a lot like why did god do this yeah. it's like you know god allowed it yep. um and it's because he knows more than we do right um he knew that to pull me out of the sin i was in mm-hmm. i needed something big mm-hmm. you know so when this thing happened like he made those connections yeah yeah wow and so it's sad to think that that's the thing one of my grad school professors says everybody has a great terrible And it's like the one really awful thing that happens Mm. to you that like kind of marks you. Mm. And like, this is mine. You know, this is my great terrible. Um, But I'm fortunate that God made it something fruitful in my life. Well, and I think, I think you made it fruitful. I mean, the Lord obviously made it fruitful, but, but you were doing what you knew to do. You obviously God's spirit, gave you the desire to want to confess some things, to want to kind of start living differently, but you still had to do it, True, (laughs) you know? And I think I I love that. That's going to really stick with me. The great terrible. I think it's all about perspective. Even the, both of those words together, it's the great terrible. And are you going to let the great terrible be something that shows the Lord's goodness and faithfulness and that gives you a hope that, is everlasting and totally firm or is it the great terrible that ruins your life? And that Mm -hmm. just as you said, I mean, it's like the cocoon of darkness going back to thinking about kind of the difference in the death of your parents. I think a lot of times like death is either a, like us, a yield and surrendering of like life is now over and I give it to you, Lord, or it's death is a thief and it's like stealing life. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think we all know folks that fall in both of those categories for us. And of course we know God's like our days are numbered and, and God is sovereign over all that. But I do think there is a difference of life being stolen versus life being surrendered. And yeah, I mean, I think we all have to work through those, the deaths of our loved ones that are stolen and and what does that mean and how does that impact our theology and the way that we view God and so help me help us what were some practical steps that you took in trying to keep your hope fixed on God and trying to be who God created you to be continuing to trust him what did that practically look like yeah I mean I think the obvious answer that that people kind of expect to hear is like I read my bible every day and I that was not my case um I could barely feed myself like I like forgot how to make a grocery list like that sounds so silly but like I could not think that far ahead yeah so I work at an addiction treatment center yes and we are a treatment center that really utilizes the 12 steps and 
one of the things that is really beautiful in the 12 steps is this idea of daily surrender. And there's this phrase they talk about with, of making conscious contact with your higher power, who obviously is God yeah. for me. And I really kind of took that of like every morning, like, God, I cannot do this today. Yeah. And him saying like, yes, you can. And that was kind of it. Like, yeah. like that daily prayer of yeah. like, God, please help me today. Yeah. That's it. Just today. That's all we have to get through. And right. and I did one literally one day at a time I got through it. And I think my work was such a refuge because it was directly impacting yeah. the issue that killed my mom. Yeah. So we are an all women treatment center. We are in Midtown Nashville, but we serve women from across the state of Tennessee. And so every woman that walks through those doors is my mom, whether she's the 18 year old who's escaping an abusive relationship or a 55 year old who has lost everything mm -hmm. and has been given an ultimatum by the court system, jail or treatment yep. and comes in and says for 40 years, I've been a slave to this thing. Yep. Like I want to get out. I see my mom's face in every single one. And there are some days, you know, my, my boss was so kind. I would be like, I can't today. And she'd be like, okay, go home. And I would work maybe 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. instead of the typical, uh -huh. like, you know, like I would really just adjust my hours because I'm also staring down the issue that killed my mom in yeah. the face. But it became, it gave me a purpose mm. and a way to directly kind of channel mm -hmm what was happening like god just kind of gave me this front row seat to mm -hmm. this is what it can look like you know like your work matters you are literally saving women's lives they are getting the chance your mom never got mm -hmm. and for me that daily walk into work was a practical step because i was trusting that god had placed me there for this time and i think that sounds simple but it's a big step that was one really practical thing for me. It was yeah. like showing up in the role that God had given Placed me, you. Yeah. Yeah. you know? And I think a lot of people, especially at my age, like they don't feel super confident professionally. Yep. That was a gift. Yeah. You know, that in all of this, God said like, I'm going to make sure you're confident that this is where you're supposed yeah. to be. I just need you to show up. Yeah. And so I did, you know, this has kind of become like a kitschy phrase I know, but I first heard it from my sister and she said, all you have to do is the next right thing. Yep. And she's like, sometimes the next right thing is a workout. Sometimes, yep. you know, the next right thing is eating a piece of pizza yep. or like sometimes the next right thing is going to work. Sometimes the next right thing is taking a sick day. Right. Like, but you just do what's in front of you. That's right. You know, there, I can't remember who say it, but they said like the headlights only shine so far, but you can get home. Mm. By following them. Yeah. And that's what God does. I, I kind of, or I explained it as like, each time I took a step, God put the flooring in under me. Yeah. You know, the it's Indiana like, Jones. I just had to like, <laughs> yeah. I just had to put my foot out. Yeah. And then he would put the floor there. And yeah. I think don't underestimate or overestimate what yeah. that step might be. Like for some of you, it might be a really, really small step. It yeah. might be moving from the bed to the couch today. Yeah. 
Um, for some people, it might be getting in the shower. Yeah. For some people, it might be leaving the corporate job and starting a podcast, yeah. right? Yeah, um, yeah. You'll know. Like, if you are asking God and in tune with God, he'll tell you. Yeah. Going back in your story a little bit, what led you to the next door? Because if you, you didn't know that your mom was an addict, I, it sounds like you at least knew that she was like had mental health struggles. But what was it that even led you to the next door? Um, God, no. <laughs> yeah. So I fell into grant writing. It was my graduate assistantship in college. Mm-hmm. And I had fallen in love with Nashville years ago and knew I wanted to live here. So when I was in my last semester of grad school, I just started applying to jobs in Nashville. I applied to like editing and publishing jobs and I applied to grant writing jobs. And I saw this job come up grant coordinator I researched the organization and they still mention this in my interview I told them they combined my favorite things Nashville Jesus and helping women (laughs) Um, and it just it was like this bringing together of every experience I had had of you know I had been a teacher and I had done some publicity and I had done some grant writing and kind of coming to Nashville all the skills I had picked up along the way kind of converged in this job. Mm. So taking the job was a leap of faith, but you know, I have my own mental health struggles. When I lived in Georgia, I was kind of starting to wrestle with my own addiction mm-hmm. and I was passionate about that work yeah. in some ways. Yeah. Like I wanted women to get help, but I didn't realize of course, like how passionate I would become yeah. about it. Yeah again, like God's kindness, you yeah. know, to, to put me there. Um, I always say in a, in a facility full of licensed therapists <laughs> <laughs> when I was needing lots of therapy. Big plus, <laughs> big plus. But, well, um, again, just the fingerprints of the Lord all mm-hmm. over your story and preparing you for a path that you of course had no idea you're about to walk down, but right. he certainly knew. So for folks that are listening to this that are going through something similar, they're grieving the loss of a loved one, they're grieving the loss of a loved one whose whose life was stolen from them, um, what do you say to them? How do you encourage them? My number one thing is find your people. Yeah. It is hard. If you're a Nashville and you need people, find me. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are churches that want to help you. Yeah. There are people who want to help yeah. you. It just might take a little time, but it will be worth it. Yeah. The other thing is re- learn who God really is hmm. and not just in the bold strokes. Like God is good. Okay. Yes. God is good. But in Exodus five, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And then the work gets harder on the hmm. Hebrew slaves. Mm-hmm. They not only have to make the bricks, but they now have to like make the stuff that they make the bricks out of. Yep. What does that say about God's character, right? Like if that's the situation you're in where you're like, I'm trying to do the right thing and it's harder. Yeah. Like who really is God in that story? Yeah. Learning about that, the the kind of nuanced picture of God versus just the high level flyover of God mm-hmm. is going to be life-giving for you mm-hmm. because- it's a truer picture and it's yeah. honestly a more comforting one. Yeah. It's one that's a lot easier to trust yeah. when you can see more than just pleasantries. God is good. God is kind. Yeah. God is yeah. um, merciful. Like, yeah. God is good, but he works good through the hardships. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that is 
those are two different statements. Yeah. And I think too, even if you're not like reading your Bible day in and day out, finding those stories, you know, Mm -hmm. the Bible is a storybook. Yeah. So even if it's like watching the Prince of Egypt, right? (laughs) Like like not a great version of Exodus necessarily, but like enough for you to remember who God is. Yeah. Sometimes like I have to find the stories rather Mm -hmm. than just like the blanket truths Mm -hmm. to really understand who God is as he operates. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. I was talking to a group of like 20 something um, women a couple of weeks ago and mostly it was like a Q and a, and, but we were talking a lot about, you know, I think most of us in our twenties, life just doesn't look like we thought it would career wise. It doesn't family wise. It doesn't um, relationship wise, all these things. Like we're just kind of think we thought life would look one way. And it a lot of times looks very different in our twenties. That's probably true for any decade, but I think yeah. our twenties <laughs> is kind of the first time we start grappling with it because otherwise life isn't pretty prescribed until, you graduate from college and then this is when all of our expectations are met with a different reality. (laughs) Um, And one of them asked, you know, basically, so Hannah, normally if I'm praying for something and going for something and it's just really hard and I feel like I'm just pushing a a boulder up a hill, then I take that as, that means like, that's not what God wants me to do and and God's not in it. And, um, you know, do you think that's, that's true? And I was like, well, no. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, sometimes we can totally be trying to kick down doors that God doesn't want us to. But and we talked about I'm like, let's let's look at like five quick stories in the Bible over and over and over. We see the leaders that God calls the people that he uses. They suffer big time for the Lord. They suffer big time for the cause. And whether it's waiting for 30 years, whether it's I mean, just over and over and over, there mm-hmm. is disappointment and pain and suffering in the Bible. And God uses all of those things to make those men and women who he needs them to be when the time comes for them to be the leader, for them to be the prophet, for, you know, whatever. But yeah, this life, you know, we want it to be comfortable and puppies and rainbows and butterflies. And we want all of our hopes and dreams to be met and and reality to match it. And the truth is that it doesn't happen. And that that's really why I started this podcast was I want to talk to men and women who all of it's so funny. I've now started having friends who have said like, Oh, I listened and I thought, what's my, no matter what, like, what's the story? It's kind of your, what's my great terrible or Mm -hmm. what's the thing that I longed for, I've hoped for, prayed for. And man, reality has looked a lot different. And how have I clung to the truth that God is who he says he is, that he is using me, not in spite of this, but because of this, through this. Um, A dear family friend, Jim Traficant, said once, I'm sure he said it more than once, but I heard him say it one time. And he said, what if this isn't happening to you, but it's happening for you? And what a perspective shift for us when we're looking at our quote unquote great, terrible in life. It's not happening to you. God didn't make this happen to you. He's using it for you. He's using it to make you more into his image bearer, more into who he created you to be. Well, and I think, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head with who he needs you to be at that time. Yeah. So even that story in Exodus, right? Like, and this is a a complete conjecture on my part. So theologians, please don't (laughs) at me, but, um, could the 
Hebrews have survived the wilderness if they had not, you know, had that extra work. Did yeah. that extra work prepare yeah. them for how hard it was going to yeah. be in the wilderness? I don't know. The right. Bible doesn't explicitly say that. Right. Like, but maybe, yeah. you know, he was preparing them for the fact that things were about to get harder. Yeah. yeah. Um, when I just think about poor you know? Moses, and Moses <laughs> like, Lord, I didn't want to lead these people to begin with. You basically made me do it. And now their life is worse because of what I've done. And I didn't want to do yeah. like, you are not setting me up for success and leading these right. people. And again, like who knows the mind of the Lord? Who knows, who knows why he does things the way that he does, but right. certainly had a purpose in it. And Moses, you know, was one of God's greatest mouths and prophets and leaders of all time. Yeah. Okay. Final question. We've already kind of danced around Romans eight twenty eight. We know God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. How does the last year of your life, it's, I mean, it's crazy to me. It's just been a year. It's still so fresh for you. How has that coupled with the fact that you know the truth that God works all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose? How has that informed your faith or changed your perspective walking forward? My faith is more real. Hmm. I'm a very intellectual person, so I've always had a lot of faith knowledge. And, you know, I mentioned, like, I used to be a word of the year person. Like, I felt like this year God was like, nope, this year you live it. Hmm. And, and I think that's kind of the the biggest change is, like, it's not just about kind of trying to swallow up as many Bible verses and Bible stories as I can so I can impress people um, in conversations. It's about how am I actually walking in my day-to-day life? You know, my community group meets on Saturday nights. If you had caught me two years ago, I would not have wasted a Saturday (laughs) night at church. But now, like, it's the best way to spend Saturday night. I love it. And it's made my walk just a lot more authentic Mm -hmm it kind of broke down some of those walls. I think that I didn't know I had up yeah. between me and God yeah. that there is a much more free flowing nature between us yeah. rather than like, I am only talking to God when I sit down and pray. I had a lot of kind of preconceived notions again that I didn't know I had about yeah. prayer and felt so much pressure around it. And now it's just like, I can just kind of pop in and out when That's I, right. when I want to like throughout the day, yeah. like, Lord, you know, I, people say this like jokingly, but like, Lord, like, please give me the strength to make it through this conversation. This person is about to drive me yes. mad. Yes. Like, but saying that in an honest way, like, Lord, I literally need you to yes. give me grace right yes. now because yes. I am going to lose my mind. Yes. Like having that be a legitimate prayer yes. rather than like a snide yeah. comment in my head. Yeah. Right. Like, and it's made me a lot more open as a human being. Mm. It's given me this grace I think for others that Hmm. again I didn't know I could have and it's given me a strength I didn't know I think a lot of people would have looked at me and said oh you're so strong and Hmm. they said that to me right after my parents died but I didn't really feel it yeah um and now I feel it like I do feel like there's a strength but it's the strength that I get from constantly resting on the Lord yeah and that's different like the strength in our own power and the strength of God I just think I always conflated those two things yeah. in the past and they feel very different and very different in a good way, yeah. in a way that I can recognize. Yeah. And I think with any hardship, like we learn more clearly the voice of God. Mm. 
And that's just the most beautiful thing in the world. Cause yeah. the more we learn his voice, the more we can hear it in the small things. Yeah. Um, and not just the big life decisions. Before we go, tell us a little bit more about the next door and what folks can do to partner with the next door, whether they're in Nashville or elsewhere. Yeah. Um, I love talking about the next door. <laughs> Obviously it is uh, my job, but also just really a great organization. So we are an addiction treatment center here in Nashville. So we have every level of care from detox to outpatient. And then we also have aftercare for our alumni. And unfortunately, right now we're kind of on hold for volunteers in the building. Sure. But there are a lot of ways to get involved from afar. So we're doing scripture cards for clients. We have this little bucket called Soul Food where clients can kind of just pull out a verse and all day. This is exactly what I needed to hear. Um, But we love to, instead of just like printing them out to have people kind of handwrite them, you can write encouraging notes to our clients, things like that. We also have a video if you want to learn more. So it's airing as we're recording, it's airing this Friday, but by the time this airs, it'll be out. So you can find that in, in the show notes. I'll get Hannah that link that tells the story of three women who went through our program and y'all, I promise you, you will be blessed by it. These (laughs) women are warriors. They have fought some of the hardest battles and have come out the other side by the grace of God. And it's just incredible to Mm. witness that work. Mm. And so the next door is a faith-based organization. So we do believe that faith is one of the core tenets of recovery. And we believe that it's Jesus, that it's God who is um, the healer. Um, But we also believe that there is healing work to be done on our part. So we have trauma-informed therapists. We have incredible caseworkers who come alongside our clients to um, help with both the substance abuse and the mental health diagnoses. And then on top of that, that kind of we have a, an on-staff reverend who does the spiritual support um, to kind of wrap around the whole woman so that she can heal on all sides yeah. of her person. Because as we know, healthy women make healthy communities. Mm. You know, our founder, she always said, if you save one woman, you're saving a generation. Mm. You know, you, wow. that ripples, wow. you know, yeah. a woman being a sober mom, raising that kid that kid's going to be different than they would have been, you know? So we really see it as, you know, investing now, but also we're investing in the future Mm. um, and really hoping to make a healthier Nashville and Mm. a healthier Tennessee, but really just healthier women who love the Lord. Well, that's awesome. And the next door is near and dear to my heart. I and my mom, and I think one or both of my sisters at some point, um, volunteered years ago, we got to go, I think it was once a month and we would serve dinner and do a Bible study and sometimes do like a fun craft that makes it sound like kitty, but it would be like, you know, something like beautiful, like making a wreath for a door or whatever. Um, but I got to be part of seeing graduation ceremonies where women would be graduating from the program. Talk about, I mean, just sitting there and like weeping at the goodness of the Lord and the strength that he's given these women and just incredible. And, um, Now, some of y'all know this if you listen to my episode with my mom, but um, one of my sisters is an addict. And, you know, unfortunately, 
I can't do anything to save her or help her. She's got to come to that place where she wants help. But for me, I'm really excited to start getting involved again at the next door um, because kind of like what you said, Morgan, it's a way that I can, I don't know, do something when I can't rescue and redeem my own sister, um, you know, and, and be surrounded by women who are just working hard and, and fighting to make such a amazing difference in their own lives and in other people's lives. So anyway, I'm just grateful for you, Morgan. I'm grateful that um, you've shared your story with us and grateful for the work that you're doing at the next door and just excited to see what the Lord does with you and with the next door. And thank can't you. Wait. Thank yeah. you so much. I want to, before I go, I do want to make sure, um, and we'll put this in the show notes as well. Yeah. Um, I'm saying that like I make that decision, yeah. but um, <laughs> there we have what's called the TND hope line. So the next door's yes. hope line, if you or someone, you know, needs help, um, the number is eight, five, five TND hope. Um, so whatever those correspond to on your little yep. number pad, yep. um, it's a 24 seven. So there's not a live person 24 seven. Um, we're working up to that hopefully, yeah. but they will definitely return your call. And even if you just are like, I don't know where to start. If you know someone who needs help, like, please feel free to call us. This is what we do. This is where our heart is. We want to get your loved ones into treatment, um, so that they can, see just a completely different way of living so that's awesome Morgan thanks again thank you before you go I want to remind you about my book the college girl survival guide if you have a college girl in your life that you want to encourage and love on grab a copy of this book and send it to her with a handwritten note I wrote the college girl survival guide from my 10 plus years of mentoring and guiding over thousands of college women as I helped them navigate the transition from high school through college and beyond this book is a culmination of all of those conversations and relationships emails and heart to hearts and it contains the answers to the top 52 concerns of college women today. It's real, it's biblically based, and it's designed to help college women not only make the most of their college experience, but create habits that will propel them into their 20s and beyond. You can find the College Girl Survival Guide anywhere books are sold online, or if you'd like a personalized copy that's signed by me and includes an art print that she can hang in her dorm room or apartment, you can buy it at hannahseymour.com.